Hello, and welcome back to the Common Sense Wellness Podcast. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Timothy, and I'm here with Emma, as always. And today we actually have a guest uh, joining us, Monica, who is a licensed mental health counselor uh, within Common Sense. And she's here to talk about a few different things, um, including um, the new AI and impact for our our practice and for uh, progress note-taking. And we'll jump in. But first, here is a little bit more about our group. The Common Sense Wellness Network is a group of practitioners comprised mainly of mental health counselors, social workers, and nurse practitioners serving clients within New York State. We are primarily a tele-based practice, although we do also offer in-person services, and we've been in operation since the summer of 2018. You can find out more about us on our website at www.commonsensemh.com. Thanks. All right, so we'll jump in. Um, yeah. So first off, Monica, thank you for joining us. Anytime, anytime. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm excited to have you here. Yes. So yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm sorry. You, you. No, I say we'll just jump in. So no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as you said, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Um, and I have a healthy piece, but I like to say that I see between like four and six clients for a working day. Um, and I try to be as efficient as possible with anything that's not really just the work that we do with clients. Mm. Um, so trying to make sure that I keep track of billing, paperwork, and all of that is done properly and done well, but isn't taking the bulk of time is kind of my goal mm. that I do with practice. Um, so I've been paying attention here and there, I want to say since COVID began, uh, different things that can be used to make notes a bit more efficient. Um, I joke pretty frequently, actually, it's not a very good joke, but that um, session notes are the mental health therapist equivalent of doing the dishes, where, like, yes, yes, you do, you don't love it, um, and they just keep piling up over and over and over again, no matter how often you do them. You will always be doing the dishes. So, um, I have been trying basically make my mission to not have to do that so much anymore. And I realized that ChatGPT is a phenomenal tool for that. So uh, I can actually do a little demonstration now that I'm thinking about it. What I do essentially with it when I log in is I'll ask it to write a psychotherapy progress note. And I try to do cert format just because that matches the uh, software that we use for um, notes and billing. And I'll offer something very basic for the client. So like a client suffering from major depressive disorder and complex childhood trauma. Let me actually check, write this in here. So after I give that basic sentence, I'll also include a couple of things that it, we've talked about in the session that day. So let's pretend that we processed a traumatic memory that was triggered recently and different means of coping with that and also processing like different aspects of meaning from their experience. Um, I'm actually gonna share my screen with you guys so you can see it. Fancy. Oh. Make it a little less like radio. All right, so I'll put that in and it'll write a really beautiful note. This one I didn't do the SWIFT format piece. I can do that again if you want to. Um, and it'll go into things like what were the um, possible interventions that I had done? Um, what were some of the things that the client may have processed in terms of emotions? 
this is filling in a lot of gaps because I just made up what this was. Um, so I didn't have any idea of what the client could be feeling or um, like what their responses were to any kind of grounding exercise. If it was a real session, I might put that in there as well. So like um, client showed good insight would be what I would add into my little paragraph or client was responsive to meditation, something very basic. And it could actually make a beautiful, beautiful note on that. If you want, I can read it. I don't know if that would be helpful for anybody listening. I'm not very sure. Um, yeah, actually. Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm gathering, Monica, and yeah, just to clarify for people listening. So um, as Monica shared, she's sharing her screen with us so we can see what she's typing into the uh, GPT uh, chat. And based on what she had in, inserted, I mean, I'm seeing four or five paragraphs, short paragraphs that yeah. basically it's, it's what you said, but it's, it's, um, it's elaborating it in a very like kind of common sense way, right? It's just, it's going off of that point and describing what's happening. Um, I have some impressions, but I don't want to just dive into that. Um, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, feel free actually to dive in. What do you think of this so far? So I missed this when we had like looked at this in the um, group consultation and I'm over here like, I'm so sorry. This is writing better notes than I've ever written in my entire life. Okay. Like, Good right. to know replaceable. Side yeah. note, I'm not replaceable, totally a joke. But, oh my gosh. Right? I'm also kind of giggling because I'm like, wow, my notes are like four or five sentences long as opposed mm-hmm. to four or five paragraphs. Um, well done. <laughs> yes. Um, and keep in mind, like, the algorithm is trying to improve itself pretty much every time any therapist, or maybe it's just me, I don't understand how, is putting in something like this or giving it any input. So it's going to keep getting better and better based on the feedback that you can give it. So you might see at the top there, I can give it a thumbs up or thumbs down, and I can give little bits of feedback of like, this was too wordy, quit it. Or I can say like, elaborate more on um, the client's emotions, more mm-hmm. or less. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if this were a real session, there would be a bit more of editing, especially because this is actually a much longer note than it usually gives me. Um, mm. maybe they have to make up a little bit more, but I would go through and if I didn't act, so in here, one of the quotes is the therapist encouraged the client to focus on their breathing and to notice the sensations in their body. If for whatever reason that wasn't a grounding exercise that I did or something that mm. I just didn't include in that session, just take it out. It. Yeah, exactly. Um, if the client, oops, sorry, no, no, oh no, don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay if the client's affect was incongruent with what they were talking about. So you see in that first paragraph, the client reported feeling triggered by a recent event that brought up a traumatic memory from their childhood. They described feeling overwhelmed and flooded with emotions related to the trauma, including fear, shame, and sadness. The client also reported experiencing physical sensations such as tightness in their chest and racing heart. If in all actuality, the client was um, like laughing and giggling and um, presenting in a way that was very incongruent with whatever the memory may be, I would tweak that. I probably would have inputted that into my little initial paragraph, but if I forgot and then I saw that note, that would have to be changed as well. And I'd have to put what actually did happen. Because otherwise it's just dishonest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It sounds like essentially, and I'm sure this is something that you would touch on, mm-hmm. it sounds like essentially this is not taking away all work associated with writing notes. As a therapist, you still have an ethical obligation to actually read the generated note and ensure that it's Actually correct. Precisely. Um, going back to my little dish metaphor, this is like a dishwasher, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a level of rewashing that different people will do, but it's going to impact your final product. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I did take a look at the ACA guidelines with this to make sure that it was ethical before I actually went and used it for notes, just to make sure. Um, and as of the as of right now, I think the most recent guidelines are from 2014. Yes. Um, so I don't know when it'll be updated and what they'll say by then. But for right now, there's nothing listed in the current ACA guidelines that prohibits the use of AI writing tools to format the progress notes or even treatment plans, etc. But you can't just copy and paste. It would be unethical. You should be the brain behind the note and you should maintain confidentiality. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, nothing identifying in that you put into the little paragraph. Um, you can't say, well, obviously the person's name or any identifying information. Mm-hmm. 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 That makes um, sense. Yeah. I can go into a little bit more detail with that, but I wanted to give you guys a chance to talk because I can definitely go on. I'm just waiting for Tim to say this is way too much detail. Tim, what's holding you back, my dude? Um, well, it's what? I'm sorry, Monica? This is, again, the longest note I think it's given me. Yeah. 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 Well, um, yeah. And, and, and that said, um, it is way too long. But, um, <laughs> oh no, but, but it, 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 from, I mean, some therapists write really long notes, right? That's not, there isn't, there isn't like a character limit when it comes to note taking. Um, but, um, uh, that and, and for those who are listening, Monica's currently giving the AI negative feedback that it's too wordy. Um, but no, I mean, in terms of that, because that that was my immediate thought. And Monica, I know you were already planning on getting into this, and you just you just mentioned it. But I think that is part of what's key is that everything else aside, whether this becomes a longer term tool for providers to use, because it is so new, right? So like you know, there's no legal, as far as I know, there's no legal regulation around it. Um, but you're right, then jumping to the ethics, that there is a little bit, some some kind of guidance there in terms of like note-taking. But for our um, ethical guidelines, you know, in terms of being a licensed mental health counselor, I know social work is a little bit different. Um, like you said, yeah, there's not, you know, there's not nothing prohibiting this, right? But, but like that said, I think what you said, that made a lot of sense that you have to be the brain behind it. And that was my first reaction seeing this is you got to proofread it. Like you got to like, which may go without saying, but like, it's like, it's a great tool. And if you're reading through it, and like you said, Monica, if you can just take out anything that it, it you know, describes that didn't happen and you need to make yeah. sure that it's accurate and it's yeah. writing it well and it's, you know, professional and it's hitting the, the format that you need. And, um, mm-hmm. that's great. And I also, I did notice that too, cause like you mentioned, you don't put any PHI in, um, mm-hmm. but I noticed at the top, it, it gave you the spot to do that. It said client name, insert here, date, insert here. And I love that. Cause then, you know, you could copy and paste that template into your EHR and then mm-hmm. just, you know, boom, it's already there. Or like an REHR, not to get into detail with this, um, but I could see somebody using this for the subjective report in it where you're not worried about the name or you don't need any place for that. You just need to write, this is what I did with the client and okay. copy and paste it into there and proofread it and edit it. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, wow. So something, and I will say there have been times where I usually get a bit more specific with it. Not too much because I'm at the point of using this. I'm still writing it out. Um, but if I add like a tiny bit more specificity in what I give it, then there have been times where it has been 100% accurate. Wow. Um, yeah. And not as sorry as this. Um, <laughs> so it is something that is really incredible in that sense based on, you know, what it learns from you and what you learn from it. That sounds very creepy to say, uh, but that's the best way that I can put it. Um, so it's a matter of really making sure that you are the brain behind the note, that you are reading it, 
fairly thoroughly and making sure that it is following not only just the reality of what happened, but also your level of ethical comfort with something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess what you want for your practice. Mm-hmm. What I found is that this takes away some of the uncertainty with uh, what makes a good note. You know, I think that there's a bit of ambiguity in the field with what that might be, even though we get training to an extent. Um, I haven't really ever had bad feedback, but I'm somebody where I could easily write something this long, no problem. And it would take me forever and I'd be burned down more easily. I wouldn't be spending as much time focusing on the actual therapy. I'd be focusing on my wording and that's not going to help my client. That's just going to not, honestly might not ever be in bed. It might just be something that I'm doing for my own sake. Um, right. So with this, you kind of hit that main point of what's the purpose of a note. You're documenting the session. You're including what you've done. You're including any points of note, especially anything in uh, regards to things like suicidal ideation, child abuse, et cetera. Um, but you're doing so in a manner that is helping you keep your focus onto the client as opposed to keeping your focus onto the paperwork. Um, so it either saves you that mental energy or it saves you time, depending on how you approach it, which is great. Mm-hmm. That makes mm-hmm. sense. There is a little bit of controversy with it, though, which is very fun. Yeah, so what have you heard so far about that? Yes. Um, There's some people that decided to use this, I don't want to say, like, in a bad way. They were just doing a little experiment to see if clients would be able to tell the difference between a therapist and a bot. Um, So an AI-generated bot. Some people are actually trying to use this to replace therapy, and it has so far been unsuccessful. Um, essentially like you can't simulate empathy, which mm. thank God. Um, and let's see. The, I'm none of us are surprised by this, by the way, like no worry about our jobs. Just kind of like, yeah, of course. Not. Oh, I'm sitting here like, oh shit. <laughs> so I'm not having the same reaction as you, Emma. <laughs> my, my partner did make a joke that I'm going to like bring on, um, whatever that world is from Terminator and just kind of let that happen. So it's fine. It's okay. So I did see this little article, um, and it's about an app called Coco, or a practice called Coco, and the founder announced on Twitter at some point that he had ran an experiment without consent of clients, (gasps) by the way. Oh, no. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, That he had provided AI written mental health counseling for them without (gasps) without referring them first. Oh, that's bad. That is bad. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. You cannot do that at all. Um, so there's a bunch of things wrong with that, obviously, because the clients are not informed. Um, it wasn't, I mean, as far as I know, uh, I think AIs have passed MBA courses, but so far they don't have a degree in counseling, so technically they're not licensed to Yes. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so it would, let's see. Essentially, uh, volunteers would write in what the client's experiencing and it would ask for an intervention to do with the client and they would actually respond to the client in almost like a texting session with whatever the ai had said um and okay. then the volunteer would just literally copy and paste as like a little medium between itself the volunteer the wait, wait wait so just to back up a little bit so they so the people that were subject to this they mm-hmm. they were chatting with an actual person but the no. person's just copying and pasting person copying and pasting yeah so let's see. And who's a volunteer? Is a volunteer a mental health professional or just? A professional copy-paster, from what I can read with this article. 
Um, all I'm saying from the screenshot is I send you love and support as you go through this journey and my skin is crawling. Oh. Jesus. There's so much bad with that. <laughs> that wasn't even a grammatically correct sentence. You see why I'm using the little robot to help me with my notes. But yeah. There's so much love with that. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Wow. So, yeah, and, and this, the yeah, and again, you know, the the people who are listening or aren't seeing the article. Which, if you're okay with it, Monica, I should have asked you before the meeting. I, I'm guessing it's okay. Um, if you can share the link, like any links that yeah. are relevant to what we're talking about, we can share them on our social media pages, and listeners can check this out. Um, but yeah, like just from like what I'm looking here, what you're sharing, like yeah, like the the um owner here, this guy Rob, he's just like tweeting about this and like basically bragging about it, like. Oh my God. <laughs> One of the things they're noting is it connects you with real people who truly get you, which already debatable since it's AI, but okay, fine. Moving past that, uh-huh. not, not counselors, just people like you. So it sounds like, oh. which does not make me feel any better, by no. means, but, um, that does answer your questions a little bit earlier. Oh, and I said it right there. I was just going to say that, um, they yeah like any any experiment they would have to go through an IRB and the article says it right there so like even regardless of whether this is meant to be mental health counseling you're right Emma that's a little bit better because it doesn't um that wasn't your wording but it, yeah he wasn't impersonating a therapist so that's good but you still got to get that approved by an you know an approved body to you know and then you have to have an informed consent still and yeah you can't just research like that oh. Um, so it can be used in a very, very bad way if unchecked. Um, so, and just to really, really emphasize this, when I'm talking about using this, I'm talking about just documenting what you've done, not asking it any advice on what to say specifically to a client or, um, in terms of like, Hey, algorithm, what do I do next with this client? If that is yeah. unethical. Yes. Yes. Um, cause then, cause then what are you doing? Then it's like, right. that's your job. That's, that's it. Yeah. Because then you're not using your training. Yeah. Um, so that is one of the more negative aspects of it when folks use it to substitute therapy. And there are actually individual people, like would-be clients that do look to it um, in terms of like, hey, I have depression. I can actually... This I haven't played around with, so let me see what it does. I have depression. Should I do Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully, it will tell me to seek mental health. Oh, good. Then it does right there. Yep. Oh, good, good. Yes. So the robot doesn't pretend to be a counselor, which is very nice, but it does provide coping skills, which is good, and it does encourage people to seek uh, actual mental health counseling. But it'll go through things like self care, connect with others, manage stress, avoid alcohol and drugs, and a nice little hopeful statement, which is very cute. Mm-hmm. Nice. So that's very appropriate, right? Like it's just—it's like if you were to Google it, you know, like that—that's what would come it's up. Like Googling it or any of the fun little self-care apps where you're, you know, taking mm-hmm. care of a cat or whatever they do. Yep. Huh? Yep. But that feels appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and sense. feel free to edit this joke out, but it's better than TikTok. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> amen to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, other than that, the only other things that I had found, um, aside from just looking at the actual ACA guidelines, were just a few different businesses that are kind of emphasizing this. So this one business called Noble, um, they are looking into the specific benefits of it. So it seems like they 
incorporate AI with the actual therapy and maybe use it a little bit more heavily than what I'm discussing. Um, but they go into a bit about how it helps protect therapist time and boundaries. Um, it also goes into the benefits of AI therapy apps that people will use um, and just how it can essentially like save some time and it can be okay for very, very basic things. Um, but again, that line is kind of like, where is it just talking about different coping skills and essentially functioning as Google? And where is it providing mental health care that it's not qualified to do technically speaking? Yeah. Right. I did see in, in one of the things that as we were scrolling was like chat box for, at, I'm sorry, chat mm-hmm. bot. Yes. for at-risk clients or something like that, which immediately, obviously I have not read this thoroughly by, by any means, but it did kind of immediately bring up like, wait, what? Chatbot for at-risk clients? Like, no, I want a real human for that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, look at all that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's saying, you know, so some AI therapy apps are addressing this need through mental health chatbots, uh, integrating therapy techniques like cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, and meditation. Therapy chatbots can offer on-demand support for users dealing with stress, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, addiction, and other mental health issues. Yeah, it's like, at what point is it, and I think you were both just saying this, like, it's one thing if, because like, I think about like, there are apps that like, utilize DBT techniques right Right. and it's like it's computer and you know but yeah not only do you know that up front which is a big part of that but also um yeah it's like it's 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 one thing for it to be a tool and for the client to be utilizing that tool specifically as a tool versus Mm -hmm. it going from a tool to being the actual like service and and actually making those decisions and dictating which monica that's what you were saying just now like that's some of that distinction of like that's our expertise, right? In terms of like what's being used when, how, you know, how we're assessing some of that human connection that is key to therapy and being genuine. Um, you know, and to your point, Emma, at the very beginning, yeah, I mean, I, it's difficult, which makes me feel better, but it's difficult for me to see AI replicating that, right? But yeah, that's, but there's some really important distinctions here just ethically right off the bat that mm-hmm. seem to stand out. Yeah. It really is a fascinating development in this field and plenty of other fields as well. Um, in the best of worlds, it will take out a bit of the, I don't want to call it practice notes front work, but it'll take out the unnecessary time that is spent sometimes on paperwork because we try to do our best. We try to make sure everything's as accurate and clear as possible just in case somebody does need to access those notes. Um, yep. And allows us more space to focus on providing better therapy. At the same time, other benefits of it do include providing a bit more access to some of the more basic things that we may teach clients um, at an on-demand basis, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then it provides us more accessible and they're able to get that better help. It's great. Um, I'm curious to see if people try to replicate that experiment again with the chatbots providing therapy. I would be very worried if they did for the client safety, obviously for the field. Um, but there's a lot of curiosity with it if somebody would actually give that a shot. And if it would even pass an review board, I don't know if it would. Well, I mean, my thought is like they could set up a double blind study within right. within a you know I mean within within a setting everyone yeah. has informed consent that like you don't know what you're going to get, but it's a possibility yeah. that you might have a session. You, you know, we'll do three different meetings or whatever, and you might have a session with 
you know, an AI or it might be with a person and just be aware that it could be with either. And the point of this, I mean, just all the things that a research study reviews in a informed consent, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Nothing super serious, maybe like a low level depression anxiety. I don't want to design the study. Sorry. Yeah, um, I feel like we easily could. Like, it's like, <laughs> it wouldn't like, they could certainly do that. But yeah, there's just like things you got to do to ensure it's ethical. Not just yeah. Yeah. Um, so it can be a phenomenal tool. Very, very curious about the development of what happens with the mental health community with this. Mm -hmm. Um, as of right now, some more of the specifics for what I found in the, in the, in the, um, ethical guidelines, um, essentially again, in section A1B of the code of ethics for mental health counselors under records and documentation, uh, the most important piece is that we as counselors take reasonable steps to ensure that documentation accurately reflects client progress and services provided. On A1C, we still need to work jointly with our clients in devising treatment plans. Um, we need to make sure that records are confidential. We need to make sure that we do not disclose confidential information that could reasonably lead to the identification of a client. Um, and let's see, uh, make sure that any records that are actually stored are still kept secure, everything like that. Um, and aside from that being aware of the limits of technology. I'm not sure. Actually, I would like to get your thoughts on this. Um, if a counselor wants to utilize AI uh, as a form of just progress notes, uh, maybe formatting treatment plans even, but still, again, being the brain behind the note, the brain behind the treatment plan, what are your thoughts on should the counselor tell the client, um, hey, by the way, I'm using this for my notes. Do you have any questions on this? Huh. I know. That's what I, that's what I said. I, I have an immediate thought is, yeah. so is it a service that is being utilized? Cause I'm thinking about like, or for example, Monica, you and I have, have looked into this um, just in terms of like within common sense, but like providers that utilize or, or seek to utilize uh, transcription services mm -hmm. in their sessions, obviously that the client needs to have informed consent of and sign off on and, and various things. But like, yeah. Right. But if, but if it's, if it's afterwards, like you're saying, if it's like helping formulate the treatment plan and the note, is it something where, um, I mean, my first question is, is there a BAA in place with that service? So is it, is it HIPAA secure? Is it meeting the, you know, those, those levels and those, those guidelines? And, um, is that company putting that in writing and taking liability on for that? That's, right. that's a big one. Um, and then I would say, I mean, you would probably want to make sure that that's in your informed consent that the client's signing off on and that, yeah, maybe verbally in the first session, like along with other things that you might highlight from the informed consent verbally, you maybe mention it again. But I mean, I think that would be probably sufficient from a technology security standpoint. Um, but I mean, do yeah, do either of you have any additional thoughts with that? I think I kind of had a similar reaction in that I would want to treat it the same way I treat my EHR. Like, I don't necessarily yes. go out my way to tell every client, like, hey, so FYI, um, I have an EHR for you, and that EHR is therapy notes, just so you know. Um, I will tell somebody, like, hey, you might get an email from therapy notes. That's the EHR that I have for your stuff. Generally, when I have to have them, like, update a credit card authorization or they're signing a release. And the only reason I tell them that is because they look for an email from me and it's coming through the portal. So I let them know that it's from therapy notes. That's about the extent that I'm sharing background info you know i'll let people know oh for your copay i use square so you might see a square charge on your card yep. that's me yep. like i will let them know if it becomes super duper relevant i believe in our 
Tim, please do correct me if I'm wrong. In our informed consent things, it does disclose that like we have an EHR and therapy yep. notes. That's right. right? That's exactly so, right. Yep. I think I kind of essentially fall into the same camp as you, where I don't know if I would necessarily go out of my way mm-hmm. unless it felt like it would be in my documentation, but that's not one of the things that I would hit on in my initial session with somebody. Mm-hmm. There are other limits to confidentiality or notes or cancellation policies and things like that that I review with folks. Right. Not necessarily reviewing who my EHR or you know, note-taking supplement is as long as there's the BAA in place. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. yeah, the only reason why I ask is, one, it does seem like a gray area just because there are you know, guidelines on this as of this point. Um, and there's that, the only real guideline we have with it is make sure everything stays confidential, don't use identifying information. So for me, that's where the gray area mm-hmm. is with this of, is it something where would you be more comfortable with a BAA in place or would you need a BAA in place? You know? Um, I, I would argue you definitely would need a BAA in place. That's, That's my fair. my understanding. Yeah. Anything technology that you're using in relation to your practice is specifically what's going to handle client data. Um, you know, if you're using a system that's only for like your employees, like other counselors or contractors, and I've run into this with common sense, you can sometimes get away. Like we have a form of Adobe, for example, that if a provider needs to sign off on, you know, a provider document, we'll use that because yeah. we don't have to be HIPAA secure for that. But for a client, we need to have a, a special version of Adobe that we pay more money for and that we have BAA with. So if there's any PHI involved, I would say you got to have that BAA in place. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. All right. No. Um, let me see if I have any oh, question. For, I was thinking if I'm a listener, obviously this whole session is much more geared towards other mental health providers. But if I'm a listener who has not yet set out into private practice, what is a BAA? Oh, Good question. So, uh, so B- like we know what we're talking about. So a, B- a BAA is that's a really good question. Um, it's actually it's a pretty simple document. A BAA is a business association agreement, and basically what a BAA outlines within a HIPAA context or a context with a you know healthcare company that's utilizing it for client services is basically it's putting the onus of whoever's going to be managing storing that client information and that data. It puts the onus of that managing, and if anything goes wrong, on the person who is. Um, uh, on the company that's uh, managing it. And also it helps ensure that basically it's that company disclosing saying, yep, you know, we meet these security standards. Um, no, we cannot just go in and, and access information or we can't do that without permission, that sort of thing. Um, there's actually a couple of bigger um, tech giants right now that are, um, or, or, or mental health tech giants that have the apps, right. That were, you know, doing the mental health counseling through, through apps um, and, and doing only tele even well before COVID, um, a couple of them are in really hot water and being investigated because they had an issue where this is kind of related. I think in the one case I'm thinking of, it was internal. So it was within the company, like the company has its own tech team. So it's not, there's no BAA there because it's it's them. Um, but they were in, they got in some hot water because, um, you know, similar to common sense, they're overhead services, right? So like they're not clinically, they're not clinically supervising their licensed counselors, but they try to micromanage their licensed counselors in a few different ways. Um, I won't disclose, but I worked for them for a period of time before common sense. So um, I can attest, they are very much like that. Um, they want to tell you what to do, but don't want to have the liability for it. One thing that we were doing though, and this is what got them in hot water, is they um, were using algorithms in their software and their apps to catch certain phrases, certain words in therapy sessions. So, you know, the the staff working for this company couldn't go into the chat room, right? Or, you know, they're not supposed to. 
um, but they were using software to monitor because they were paranoid of providers giving out their contact info and taking clients from the app when they would leave to go to private practice. So they were monitoring things like email addresses, phone numbers. I got hit once because I gave the I gave the client a referral for. Um, I believe this was the case. I don't quote me on this. I could be misremembering, but I think I gave the client a referral for like some other service, like not therapy related. It was a referral codes outside of my scope. Um, and I got dinged. I got an email saying, you know, our software picked up and I'm like, what? That's, that's your straddle the line there. That's, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And then after that, I found out there, at last I heard they were being investigated for it. It was, it was a big deal. So, but that's kind of the beat. That's the business association kind of world where like, you know, an entity that's not involved in your care is not supposed to be able to just access your data, right? Unless you have, unless you have that release signed, um, you know, and, you know, and, and again, some, some exceptions to that real quick, just for people listening, like for billing, right? Like if a client, you know, and we have this in our informed consent, but if a client uses insurance for billing, you don't have to have a specific ROI for the insurance company. You can bill their insurance if that's the insurance that they come in with. Um, and, you know, they provide you that information. If a client's not paying their bill, right, and they owe you a large sum of money that they agreed to and signed off on in your financial agreement, you can work with a collections company that specializes in healthcare debt and try to retrieve those funds. And that you can do that without a release because it's retrieving the funds. But you're not sharing clinical data with that entity either, right? You're not going to share your notes. Um, a group like us, and we say this in our informed consent too, providers might have access to demographic data for other clients because you're sharing a system. So you can you can see a client's there. You can see their their address and you might be able to see, you know, some of the billing, but you cannot see the progress notes. Only the assigned providers with the proper consents in place on the file can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like ther- therapy notes, which is the EHR we use, designs it that way. So yeah, the BAA is it's all about like access and ensuring that only the proper entities have that. And it, it touches on that for any third parties that you're working with. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer, but it kind of led to a tangent. Yeah. Okay. It's a good answer because not everybody knows about it. You know? Yes. Very few people do until they're actually in private practice. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you hear these stories of people like, and I know we're coming up on time, but um, you hear these stories about um, people like when COVID first hit, these providers that were going on just Skype or like Facebook video. And it's like, those are not, they don't even offer BAAs. They're not, they're not eligible to do that mm-hmm. service. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Let's see. Very much trial by fire kind of an experience, it seems. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate yes, it. Yes, Monica, thank you for yeah, for thank joining you. us. Yeah. I'm well too. I did zero research. Monica had supporting evidence. So Yes. <laughs> and I feel like it was it was a good overview, like for like just different components of this. And I feel like we could have gone on for an hour or more mm-hmm. talking about this, but um, yeah, but for just this, just being so new, um, some really great points to think about. Thank you. Yeah. It was actually very fun researching. I think I got so into the research because of my own selfish purposes, but hey, here we are. Um, <laughs> oh, two other things that I wanted to mention, actually, they're very, very quick. Yeah. Number one. I'm a mental health counselor, not a lawyer. Um, so if yes. anybody is considering this, please, please, please consult either with your own lawyer if you happen to have one or with your malpractice insurance if you happen to have the ability to consult with them. Please, I'm just a humble counselor who read the ACA guidelines and tried to make sure I went through with a fine tooth comb. But somebody with actual legal expertise may be a much better person to go to with this. Yeah. Um, and the only other other thing with that 
I did take a peek at the social worker uh, code of ethics and they have a statute that might prohibit this. And it's just section 4.08 of their ethics code regarding authorship. Um, Essentially, it says that the social worker needs to be the author of the note. So Mm. it's a bit more of a gray area of, hey, if I give it the basic info and it reformats it, is it now the author? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's a little more specific. Yeah. That's like, yeah, I'd say so. Um, So Social workers in particular need to do extra digging is what I'm hearing here. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, And everyone's personally responsible for their own decisions. Yes, they are. Yeah. Um, so the ACA doesn't yet have anything like that, but everybody, your mileage may vary. Yeah. yeah. And we could have another episode at some point about why for the ACA, it's um, been nine years since the last ethics um, <laughs> revision. So mm-hmm. I remember reading that in grad school. It was like fresh in 2014. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, they must do this every year. And they haven't done it since. <laughs> Sweet summer child. Yes, it was was very naive, yeah. (laughs) I would never imagine things that have happened since 2014 would have happened. Right. So many things could be added and addressed, you know? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. All right. But yeah, thank you, Monica, so much. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you both. This was fun. It was. It was. I had a great time. And Monica, if you're open to it, glad to have you again in the future if you have time and also uh, inclined I suddenly have so much more free time I'm not doing the same amount of effort or time on my progress notes <laughs> yes yes I can well played thank you does a great sell yeah <laughs> I'm a walking ad it's terrible alright thank, thank you, you Monica so you yes you. take care thank you all and um, we'll follow up uh, in our next podcast sounds good alright bye bye bye